So Jesus, as we read and consider your word, give us ears to hear, fill our hearts with joy. Lord, that we may leave this place longing, wanting to bring glory and honor to your name. Amen. Well, it's great to be a part of worship with you all on this final Sunday of the year. I want to be sure to welcome all of you who are watching online. So great to have you as well. And I hope all of you, for you and your family, had a very Merry Christmas. Uh, you may not recognize me, and, and that would make sense. My name is Daniel Triller. I'm usually upstairs in the upper campus working with our high schoolers, but I always love the opportunities that I get to be down here and worship with you all. And this Sunday is just one of a couple Sundays in the whole year where we don't offer Sunday programming for our youth. And so you might just see a few more students uh, sitting next to you this morning. It's great to have all of God's family right here worshiping together. Well, hey, I want to get to it. We got no time to waste. This morning we are continuing with our Advent slash Christmas sermon series. It's titled The Greatest Story Ever Told. And for those of you who are visiting from out of town or are home from college, what we've been doing is we've been taking some of the most popular Christmas movies and looking at the Christmas story through the main character's eyes. And as a child of the 90s myself, I felt like it was my duty, my personal obligation, to choose the 90s hit classic, Home Alone. <laughs> so maybe for some of you, it's one of your favorites. Maybe some of you haven't seen it before. So just to get everyone on the, everyone on the same page, here's how it begins. You've got the McAllister family chaotically getting ready to go on their Christmas vacation to Paris. And then the center of it all, you've got little Kevin McAllister. And Kevin wants no part of this family. He's got brothers and cousins who tease him and mock him. He's got aunts and uncles and parents who scold him. And well, I'm going to let Kevin take it from here. Bombs away! P.S. You have to sleep on the hide-a-bed with Fuller. If he has something to drink, he's going to wet the bed. This house is so full of people, it makes me sick. When I grow up and get married, I'm living alone. Did you hear me? I'm living alone. I'm living alone. Yeah, about that married and living alone part, huh? That'll be, that'll be a rude awakening. You know, all Kevin wants is to be away from his family. And he gets his wish. The next morning, the alarm clock doesn't go off. The parents are yelling, we slept in! Racing to get out the door, they accidentally count the curious little neighbor's kid as they do the family head count, and that leaves little Kevin McAllister all by himself, home alone. He's made his family disappear. And three days after Christmas, that might be your wish right now, too. <laughs> and I understand that as your family sits next to you right now, some of you can't laugh at that, but... No hard feelings. But don't all of us, and you know, in all seriousness, feel like Kevin McAllister from time to time? You know, maybe we just got this, not, as much, not with as much stomping or screaming, but this general sense of disappointment or frustration with our family. You know, maybe we're longing for a better one, or at the very least, a more agreeable one. You know, and especially during this Christmas season. I mean, is there ever a time of the year where you are more aware of your family situation, whether good, bad, or incomplete, than right now? I mean, it feels like every type of loss that we feel during this season is magnified tenfold. I mean, maybe you're like me and still adjusting to the fact that you're a married sibling, you get less time with them over Christmas. 
Or maybe you're the youngest kid and you had to sleep in the hide of bed with your cousin and if he has too much to drink, dang it, he just might wet the bed. You know, for others, the Christmas season reminds us of the realities and consequences of the really hard things. Divorce, the loss of a loved one, struggles with infertility, the fact that we're still single. And so wherever you may find yourself in your current family situation, what might Jesus want to say to us about family? As we continue reflecting on this Christmas story, as Jesus came and dwelt among us, what might Jesus want to say to us about family? You know, I think the first thing Jesus' entrance into our world tells us is that he is a God who loves, cherishes, and identifies with families. You know, he enters this world as a baby, as a kid. He's got an earthly family with mothers and a father, a brother and a sister. But what I also love about the Christmas story, what I also love about this Christmas story is that Jesus' arrival marks the radical beginning of a new family. You know, before Jesus, the word, the word family always, always, always referred to your biological earthly family. That is your family line. But now with Jesus, the word shifts a little bit. Some of the writers started talking about family a little bit differently. Peter and Paul started saying things like family of believers, God's family, the household of God. Jesus is going to go on to say, whoever does, the will of my mother, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. And so that all those who believe in Jesus are adopted and welcomed into an eternal kingdom family. And so for people all around the world, Jesus is saying, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. And I think where this shift first took place The first sign of this new emerging kingdom family is in the passage that Annie just read. And oddly enough, it's the only story we have about Jesus' childhood. And I think kid Jesus has something powerful to say about family. And while I'd like to fast forward to the dialogue between Mary and Joseph, I think we need to try to explain how you lose Jesus. How does this happen? Because this wasn't total parenting malpractice on the part of Mary and Joseph like it was with the McAllister parents, those foolish parents. You know, people in Jesus' day would travel in these free-flowing, massive groups. It'd be like a big school of fish. Not in their family SUV. And it was just kind of assumed that the older kids would kind of get in the mix, make, make their way, get to where they need to go, and everybody will just catch up later. You know, it'd be kind of like if you and your son, and, son or daughter, your 12-year-old son or daughter, ran a popular 5K together. And you might get split up from time to time, no worries. You know, it's just assumed that you're gonna get to the same place at some point. And besides, this kid Jesus has never sinned before and never will. So who's to assume he's gonna cause a little trouble now? But he does. He stayed behind. He's in the temple, his home, home alone. And just a quick side note, if you really wanna analyze it, this is actually headed more towards Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, since Jesus gets lost in the big city, Jerusalem. But we're getting off track. And so after Mary and Joseph had their Kevin moment, and after what had to have been the longest three days ever, Mary's got some words for Jesus. She says, son, why have you treated us like this? 
Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. But can you blame the woman? Three days, search and rescue, no cell phone, no car. I'd be a little flustered, a little frustrated. I'd be frustrated. I mean, she's got to be thinking, seriously, Jesus? This reflects on us as parents, and you're making us look bad. But Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And you know, that's every parent's dream right there, when their kid responds to their question with their own question. You know, if there's any high school students in here, when, you, when your parents tell you, why were you out so late? Starting with, why do you care, is not a good place to start. <laughs> so what's Jesus saying here? On some level, he's revealing his divine nature and his intimate connection with his heavenly father, revealing his longing to be in his father's house. But think about what else is happening here. Think about how strange of a moment this had to have been. Jesus is describing the temple as his father's house. He's describing God as father. And yet Joseph, his earthly father, is standing right there. No one has ever called God father before. No wonder his parents are confused. Jesus might as well be saying to his, to his parents, this is my family. It's the first little glimpse of the kingdom family. The early beginnings of the family of believers, the household of God, as Jesus chose to hang back distance himself from his family, spending those three days in the place he had to be, his father's house, the first century church. And as he grows in wisdom and stature and as he moves forward with his ministry, he is inviting people everywhere to be a part of his kingdom family. He's going to invite his followers to also see God as father. He's going to address his followers as his brothers and sisters and encourages us to do the same. And he radically demands that just as he left his family on that day, that our following him would take priority over any earthly ties. And so Jesus looks upon us and says to us, welcome to the family. And so whether we like our earthly family or not, whether we are frustrated with our earthly family or not, whether we want a new family or not, Jesus is saying, welcome to the family. You have an eternal kingdom family. And that's good news for you and for me and that crafty little Kevin McAllister. Now, some of you may be thinking, and rightfully so, so what? What's the big deal? I mean, maybe you're even thinking, are you kidding me? I've got all the family I can handle right now, and now you're telling me there's more? How is that good news? And even still, what difference would it make in our lives today that I'm invited, that you are invited and welcomed into this bigger kingdom family? And this morning I've got two reasons for you. I got a bunch, but this morning I've got two. And the first is this. It changes the way you relate to your earthly family. You know, I think when we lose sight of this bigger kingdom family that we're welcomed into, the one we'll be with for eternity, we can sometimes put too much significance, too much meaning on our earthly family. And we sometimes move to this place where we begin to idolize the family. And I know idolatry and family are not words that you often hear put together. And some of you may be sitting next to your spouse right now. No, 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 no. I can assure you, 
I've seen this person in their worst moments and that's impossible. But here's what I mean. Idolatry is when we take the good things that God has given us and turn them into ultimate things. And we turn good things into ultimate things when we look to those things for our ultimate source of purpose, meaning, significance. The things that only Jesus is able to provide. And let me share with you a quick story about one of the ways this can play out. There was a recent documentary on ESPN, a great 30 for 30 if you've seen any. It was about Brian Bosworth, the Boz as he was best known. And Brian Bosworth was a star linebacker for the Oklahoma Sooners back in the 80s. And he was also this incredible cultural phenomenon. And if you've never heard of him, here's all that you need to know, is that if Brian Bosworth were playing today, he truly would have broke the internet, okay? The media was consumed by him. He took on this alter ego, this new identity, the boss. He's got crazy haircuts, flashy clothes. He's doing ridiculous interviews with the media. He's all about himself and not about the team. And he eventually gets himself kicked off the national championship Oklahoma Sooner football team. And this whole documentary moves towards this question of how did Brian Bosworth get here? How did he become this way? And as the documentary moves on, it all points to his relationship with his father, a dad who put these crushing expectations on him, a dad who yelled at him for missing one tackle when he made 20, a dad who was looking to his star football player to provide him ultimate significance, and then vice versa, the boss was looking to his father, looking to his father whether he was aware or not, motivated by his father's approval, constantly desiring to keep him happy. Just classic idolatry of the family. And if we do idolize our family, it's eventually going to leave us depressed and miserable because they can't live up to our expectations anyway. They'll never be as great, successful, <laughs> close-knit as we'd hope, hope they would be. They're going to let us down some way, somehow because they were never meant to be that, what, be that for you in your life anyway. But if you know you are a part of the kingdom family, you will be better positioned to simply enjoy and serve your earthly family to the glory of God rather than idolizing them and crushing them with your weighty expectations. And I'm trusting that in all this, you all aren't hearing me say, forget about your family. Don't care about your family. Go cold turkey, forget about them. I'm trusting that you're not hearing that. Just don't make them an ultimate thing. Love them. Just don't make them an ultimate thing. And the truth is, you can still love and serve your earthly family while keeping your eye on the heavenly family. Years ago, a family that my family knows well was trying to buy a house in Seattle. And uh, they found a house they liked, and they bought it, but they knew that when they were buying it, they knew they were going to have to do some remodeling. Okay, so they bought it. They had three kids. They needed more space. But the thing was, years later, they realized after they bought it, oh my gosh, this is going to take a ton of remodeling. There's foundational problems, cracks. We're going to have to do a ton of work. And so the parents are at this place where they're thinking, ah... We're kind of at this make or break point. I mean, are we really going to put all this money into this house that we don't really need? Because our kids are going to graduate in a few years anyway. But they started praying about it. They started bringing some new people into the fold, some folks that could come in and bless the house and think through this with them. And the dad, let's go with Jim here. The dad starts thinking to himself, kind of one of those God thoughts. He starts thinking, I think this place is going to be a sanctuary for somebody someday a place of rest for somebody someday. 
And so throughout the years, they have housed a number of church interns, all of whom had an incredible role, or all whom have been incredible role models for their family. And now recently, check this out, years after their kids graduated and moved out, the wife's family fell upon hard times. And so you've got one of the sisters who's divorced living in the basement, and you've got kids from another sister who are living in some of the rooms upstairs. And so Jim has been able, using the blessing that God has given him, been able to look at even his own earthly family and say, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. And so that's the first way in which being welcomed into a kingdom family makes a difference in your life. It changes the way you relate to your earthly family. It guards you from idolatry, allows you to love and enjoy your family, all while being a part of your kingdom family. Now here's the second reason. It changes the way you relate to your kingdom family. Think about this. All around you right now are children of God, sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Christ. We here at Bell Present, all across the world, are part of a family. And my goodness, was there ever a better picture of being welcomed into a family than a baptism? You know, as you know, we've had a couple baptisms here. We're going to have a number of them throughout the day. And think about what we are witnessing when we witness a baptism. You know, Jesus is saying to each and every person who's baptized, I love you. I chose you. You are a child of God. Welcome to the family. And so to James and Jonathan, we say, welcome. Welcome to the family. And then think about what we say in response to those baptisms. You know, we respond as a congregation agreeing to take responsibility for the nurturing and walking alongside them in their faith. You know, we agree to see James and Jonathan as our own children. We look upon them and say, welcome to the family. And on Sunday mornings, we've got dozens upon dozens of volunteers who have said yes to that call, who have taken responsibility for the nurturing and upbringing of our youth. And I am so very, very grateful for them. It's family, walking alongside family, and it's beautiful. One of those folks in particular is a wonderful, wonderful woman by the name of Chris Bennett. Here's a picture of her and a bunch of girls at our high school fall retreat. She is the one on the right. Chris and her family have been going to this church for over 25 years, and they've had three sons who have gone through the youth department, and they've had some incredible volunteers walk along their boys throughout the years. But the tables turned. Chris had an opportunity to be part of the high school Costa Rica mission trip a couple years ago, and she was a little skeptical. You know, she's a little bit worried she's going to be the oldest person in the group, but the students embraced her right away. And Chris, and Chris, she says, now, I realize these students don't need me to be in my 20s and cool. They need me to care about them. And God has placed on Chris a deep, deep love and passion for our youth. And here's what you need to know about Chris. Our girls love her. They adore her. When we have youth group on Wednesday nights, some of the girls don't want to leave because they want to talk to Chris. And some of them, some of them even call her mom. I mean, come on now. Talk about the family. One of the things that we continue to see in our culture today is that the first step in becoming a Christian is trusting a Christian. It's not an intellectual ascent to a set of beliefs. It's not some 20-minute talk. 
but rather the first step in becoming a Christian is trusting a Christian. People who will go to our youth and say, welcome to the family. And now here's the thing. I need a few more people to be volunteers. I would clone Chris if I could, but she said no. (laughs) What she would tell you is that the people that we need are right out there. We as the Family Life Department are always in need of volunteers, but speaking for my middle school director, Nate Rice and I, the need is very, very great to live out what we promised in these kids' baptism. There are applications in the back and also at the welcome desk, and I'm not kidding. And obviously we need to discern the places in our life where we are called to love and serve our kingdom family however that might be. But I had to ask, because I simply wanted to invite you, I simply want to invite some of you to witness moments such as this next story. You know, some of our high school students recently had the opportunity to serve a meal for the Congregations for the Homeless. And it's in Congregations for the Homeless is an east side ministry uh, serving homeless men on the east side. And every December, Bell Prez offers a meal and housing every night in December to 40 men. And so one night, on this Friday night, I got to see, as our high school students took on this meal, I got to see firsthand how much some of our students love people and love serving. A couple of the girls, I mean, that alone made my heart happy, but there was more. A couple of the girls started singing, leading the men in some Christmas carols, and then a group of Belcanto students started singing this beautiful song with all these rich harmonies, and one of the men came up to me afterwards and said, That was one of the sweetest sounds I have heard in a very long time. And so up on the first floor in our upper campus was the family. Our students or our staff and volunteers are looking at our students and then our students are looking at these men, these newfound brothers in Christ and saying, welcome, welcome to the family. Let's wrap this thing up with a little home alone. Kevin is reunited with his family. Obviously, that's how it had to finish. Mom walks in on Christmas morning, then the rest of the family comes barging in. But if you remember that final scene, the scene that might just bring you to tears if you're sappy enough, the scene that might just bring you to tears is when Kevin looks out the window and sees old man Marley out the window. Remember old man Marley, the connection that they had in that church, the moment they had there? He's seen old man Marley and his family reunited. And in that moment between Kevin and old man Marley, we are seeing the larger family at work, the larger family at play. And so Jesus came to this earth not just to be a part of an earthly family, but to invite and welcome us into a kingdom family as well that will last for all eternity. And when you know this, it will change the way you think about It'll change the way you live within. It'll change the way you relate to both your earthly family and your kingdom family right here, right now. Welcome to the family. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the good news as you invite us into this kingdom family. Lord, I thank you that you have provided us with brothers and sisters 
in Christ that we can walk alongside and love one another. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.